Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune. So I want to take some time today in this podcast, in this uh, video, to, to talk about two primary topics. The first of which is the precious metals market and its uh, performance in the last 24 hours as we come off of a very news-heavy weekend, especially related to my second topic, and that is the attack on Saudi Arabian oil facilities that transpired over the weekend, sending oil about 20% higher in price uh, but silver and gold didn't budge a whole lot. I mean, gold, you know, overnight was up around 1512, 1510, but as I record, around 1500, not a huge spike at all, despite the, the geopolitical uh, ramifications of this attack. And silver, you know, silver did rise a fair bit, 30, 40 cents, around $18 an ounce, but again, not a huge rise on this, this news, seemingly. And why is that the case? And I want to talk about that later on, but I want to start off with kind of a quick summary of why this Saudi Arabian attack, this attack in Saudi Arabia is so important to understand and why it is maybe the largest escalation in this uh, conflict yet, this Persian Gulf conflict, which if it were to go to full-blown war would likely include uh, the likes of the United States, the UK, Israel, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Syria, uh, and potentially other countries as well, smaller ones in the Gulf, or, or uh, you have Turkey, you have Russia, you have some other participants that could be involved in this as well. But I want to talk about exactly what happened. So, so over the weekend, we got news of an attack, a very significant attack, on Saudi Arabian oil facilities, shutting down something like 5 million barrels per day of production. And of course, most traders, you know, their first question was, what type of influence is this going to have on the price of crude oil? And, and as I said, it rose something like 20% when markets finally opened it on Sunday. It retraced some of that, but as I record, it's, it's back up around that level right now. So, I mean, that's kind of the answer. Thus far, it's had a pretty significant effect on crude oil prices. But I want to talk more about the geopolitical ramifications of this as well, because I think that rise in oil, and if we continue to have rise in oil in the coming week or two, it's largely not just on the back of, of the decrease in production, but more so on the you know what this could be a, a precursor to in terms of geopolitics and, and further damage to oil production in the Middle East. So basically what happened is, is there was a very large attack you know, shutting down a large amount of, of Saudi Arabia's oil production. You know, various facilities were, were attacked. And, and burning. I mean, you could see it. There's satellite photos of these huge black plumes of smoke spreading across Saudi Arabia. And the original report was that it was a massive drone attack. And, and you know, the usual suspects were the suspects. Uh, Saudi Arabia is not new to, to these occasional attacks, though never on this scale. They're usually much smaller drone attacks or, or missiles kind of being lobbed across the border, usually from Yemen. Uh, usually from the Houthi rebels, that they, uh, the, the Iranian-backed Houthi rebels, uh, that, that they continue to fight an ongoing war against in Yemen. But then the U.S. kind of came out and said maybe this was launched by Iranian proxies in Iraq. You know, it's kind of been some confusion. And the U.S. basically said, well, we'll sort of wait to see what Iran has to say about this, you know, kind of putting it in, in their court. And, you know, their conclusion, and eventually the U.S., even Mike Pompeo, the, the Secretary of State, came out and said this, uh, that this was not from Iraqi soil, it sounds like now. It wasn't from Houthi rebels, even though they actually took credit for the attack, but actually that it was not a drone attack, but a missile attack from Iranian soil. 
And that is a very important distinction. That would be, you know, a first. I mean, like I said, I mean, attacks from, from Yemen or, or even from Iraq would not be totally unheard of or, or totally ground-shaking, especially since it likely won't be the state of Iraq, but actually some proxies that they don't, you know, can't control or are allowing to operate there in their territory. But no, from Iranian soil, that's a big deal. And of course, the U.S., like Pompeo, sort of put it in, in Saudi Arabia's, uh, put the ball in their court and, and let them kind of make this announcement. And if anything, I see this as a potential precursor to a, a conflict. And the reason being for that is that, well, it's it's if it were just the Houthi rebels, and it very well could have been. It could have been, you know, the, the idea of a false flag, Saudi Arabia doing this as well. Maybe I'll get to that a little later on in this video. But but if it was just the Houthi rebels, or even Iranian-backed proxies in, in Iraq, Saudi Arabia would say, and the U.S. probably would too, and Israel, we'd all say, you know, this another example of Iranian aggression, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but most of the military ramifications of that would be stepping up the, the fight in, in Yemen, probably. But if we're going to say that it was Iran that was behind this attack, that's a totally different story. And I think that pushes us closer to war. I mean, when was the last time Iran just lobbed missiles you know, across the Persian Gulf at, at, at Saudi Arabia? And, and I'm not saying that that is the case. You know, it, it worries me that the U.S. would give Saudi Arabia the chance to make that type of... Again, I don't know who did it. You know, I'm sure the, there's intel out there that people know exactly who did it. Uh, but you would think that the U.S., being, you know, the, the most well-funded uh, intelligence and, and military complex in the world, would have better intel on this, even though, you know, we're talking about Saudi Arabian soil. You would think that we would be able to make that determination for ourselves. Was this launched across the Persian Gulf? Was it from the south, from Yemen, or was it from the north, from, from Iraqi soil? But no, we, we let Saudi Arabia make that distinction. Or, you know, there's the other possibility that people have thrown out there, is that this could have been a false flag attack, that Saudi Arabia could have themselves carried out some sort of an attack on their own facilities with the intention of doing two different things. First of all, causing the price of oil to go up, which you know, OPEC nations and, and Saudi Arabia are always kind of in favor of, or else, or in addition, uh, potentially sparking a Middle Eastern conflict and, and, and sucking the U.S. and Israel into a war with Iran. We'll see. Um, but, but the potential for a false flag is, uh, absolutely exists here as well. But either way, the result of this is that, that we're that much closer to war with Iran, which is really unfortunate. Because, you know, we got news last week that, that John Bolton, you know, the biggest neocon in the White House, was kicked out of his spot by, by Donald Trump, right? Give Trump maybe a little credit for that, at least. Um, but then, you know, with this escalation in Iran, that makes me sort of less hopeful that, that maybe the neocons still have a hold here, uh, Mike Pompeo among them. And, and furthermore, if anything, over the last month or two, the situation with Iran seemed to have been improving. But if anything, you know, the, the real problem with this is that the U.S. has really been dragging our feet in any sort of negotiation with Iran. I mean, we have. I mean, yes, things have calmed down somewhat, but we've been dragging our feet about working out some sort of a new deal or whatever. And, and is that Iran? Is it the U.S.? I don't know. But either way, the, the end result of it is, is that Iran 
continues to suffer massively in terms of economic uh, uh, damage, right? Because of their inability to export large amounts of oil. That's, I mean, they're, they're in dire straits. They were a month or two ago. Think of how much worse they are now. And the US, the UK, etc., haven't really been, there hasn't been a whole lot of movement in that area. And so you gotta wonder if they are getting desperate. Not to say that they were, you know, that they carried out these missile attacks, but uh, it, certainly that the, the motive exists. And, and again, talking about how this could be a precursor to more in the Middle East, I mean, if this turns into a full blown conflict, Obviously, Iranian oil facilities would be knocked out pretty quickly by, by Israel, by the U.S., by Saudis, etc. But I don't think that we should minimize Iran's ability, their, their military capabilities in the area, to do the same to Saudi Arabia, to, to all sorts of other smaller countries out there, United Arab Emirates, um, um, Kuwait, even Iraq could be caught in the crossfire, Syria, Jordan, you know, all these other big oil-producing countries I think very easily could, be, could have their oil production knocked offline as well. And so I don't think that this Middle Eastern business is, is I mean, it's far from over. It's just a question of whether or not this is going to, going to escalate beyond small proxy conflicts or the occasional uh, Israeli airstrike in Syria or Iraq or, or Lebanon. And is this going to escalate to a much larger uh, conflict? Which brings me to my other subject, precious metals prices, because certainly this is maybe the largest, largest escalation we've seen to date in this kind of episode of this potential Persian Gulf conflict, and yet silver and gold didn't move up a whole lot on that news. Why is that the case? Well, I want to start off by saying that I'm, it, it certainly doesn't bother me that it didn't move up a whole lot. In fact, if anything, I would say that silver and gold, after last week, are actually looking pretty good where they're at. We saw the correction, especially in silver, much more pronounced in silver, over the last week or two. We saw silver drop to, or actually below 1750. Uh, we saw gold tip dip a, a fair bit below 1500. And and I wasn't, I wouldn't have been surprised if that correction would have continued into this week. And who knows? It very well could if, if tensions in the Middle East calmed down. But all things considered. Things aren't looking that bad. And I'll tell you why. First of all, yes, oil was up. And, in, in, and theoretically, a, a higher oil price should have some influence on the price of silver and gold. Yes, we had the ge geopolitical mayhem of, of the weekend. But you also had two other very important factors that have sort of been working against silver and gold over the last couple of weeks. First of all, the dollar index. It hasn't been spiking by any means. It's, it's in the 98 range as a record, but still a little bit stronger than it was maybe a month or two ago. And, and despite that, silver and gold have really not worried about it too much. But the other huge market move that we've seen in the last uh, week or two, especially the last week with this whole uh, quant, whatever you want to call it, quant quake or quant apocalypse or whatever, was a huge rise in U.S. Treasury bonds, the, the yield, not the price, meaning the price has gone down. In fact, U.S. 10-year wasn't that long ago, a couple weeks ago, that we were talking to yield down around you know, 1.4, 1.5%. And as I speak, it's up north of 1.8, actually between 1.8 and 1.9%. Price has gone down. And, and if you remember, it wasn't that long ago that I was talking about how these ultra-low Treasury yields, and as we see more and more debt worldwide, 
move into negative territory, that that was positive for silver and gold. Because you know, bonds traditionally are viewed, especially sovereign bonds, as a safe haven asset. And, and gold can be as well, but one of the problems with gold is that it doesn't have a yield. And, and basically what I was saying then was, well, hey, look, yes, gold doesn't have a yield, but when we're talking about negative yielding bonds or when we're talking about uh, U.S. Treasury bonds, like a 10-year yielding less than 1.5%, less than the rate of inflation in terms of real rates, negative, then yeah, that's going to be very bullish for silver and gold. Just like much, much higher rates could be very bullish for silver and gold because hey, now you got a potential funding crisis for the U.S. You have potential for higher inflation, uh, blowout of the U.S. deficit and whatnot. And so that's kind of what I was talking about then. And so if yields are up another you know, 30, 40 basis points from where they were, 50 basis points, then you know, all things considered, if silver and gold, and gold certainly hasn't moved down a whole lot on that news, still sitting around 1500 if silver is still around $18 an ounce, that's not looking that bad. Because I don't think that this, you know, stabilization in yields is, I don't think they're going to stabilize back around this level or 2%, 2.5%, you know, for the U.S. 10-year. I think this is heading one of two directions, and that's either much, much lower or eventually much higher. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw you know, sub-1% yields on the Treasury uh, U.S. 10-year by the end of the year. I wouldn't be surprised at some point in the future if we saw negative yields on the U.S. 10-year or anything on the U.S. Uh, debt curve. Uh, treasury yield curve. But ultimately, I'm also expecting much, much higher yields. I'm expecting a, I'm expecting a massive blow-up of the, the U.S., uh, sorry, not the U.S., but the global bond market, sovereign and commercial or corporate. And, and that's going to be extremely bullish for silver and gold as well, because that's going to signal maybe the last stage of, of sort of a, a global monetary endgame. And so that's kind of what I'm, I'm expecting right now. And, and, and again, that's why I'm not too worried about silver and gold, because yes, they haven't done a whole lot despite this big news. And don't get me wrong, silver was up like over 2% in the last 24 hours, but they haven't done a ton despite a, a huge escalation in the Middle East, which should be very bullish for silver and gold. Uh, but all things considered, they're looking pretty good. And, and they're looking like they could be rearing for another big move up, especially if treasury yields move down. I mean, we're kind of in this weird environment. And it's not weird at all. It totally makes sense, but it's totally uh, uh, counter to maybe uh, common sense, I guess, or or would be another word, uh, conventional wisdom. That's what I'm looking for. Where when the dollar moves up or bond yields move up, which traditionally would probably be kind of bearish for precious metals, they're not moving down a whole lot on that, if at all. But when yields move down and when the dollar moves down, they move up on that news. And so what we have to wait for is another move down in bond yields, another move down in the dollar, which eventually will happen. I mean, I don't think the, the uh, I guess, reasons for, for Trump or Powell to want a weaker dollar have evaporated in the last week or two. I think the, the reason for them to want that is strong, stronger now more than ever, uh, especially with uh, another, you know, talks of another dollar funding uh, crisis uh, kind of coming up this week. And I think that's going to happen. The same thing goes for yields, whether it's because of sort of a bearishness about the stock market or the global economy. It could have to do with with the Federal Reserve driving down rates through their control of of the short end of the curve with the Fed funds rate and whatnot. 
but it'll happen, and I think that's going to be very bullish for silver and gold as well. So, you know, it wasn't that long ago that I was talking, uh, you know, year-end forecasts for silver and gold, and I think I was talking, you know, 18 for silver, 1600 for gold, and I'm not going to, you know, provide a, a, a substantial update of that, but that was prior to the big move up in silver in particular, north of 19, 1950. And, you know, with those levels of resistance sort of knocked out, just in the last, you know, that was like two or three weeks ago. It, it makes me more confident that maybe my analysis was a little bit too conservative, that maybe $20 silver would be more realistic by the end of the year, and then $1,650 maybe for gold, $1,700 by the end of the year. But, but we'll see. As always, I appreciate your guys' support. I'm always happy to, to receive your guys' feedback, both constructive and positive, down below in the comment section. So let me know down below. Uh, as always... I'd like to thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for watching this video, listening to this podcast, and God bless.